Amen. Thank you, Joshua. Appreciate your leadership, and thank you, elders, for having us here to preach and to open God's Word. Please turn with me first, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're looking at the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 5, I'm going to begin with verse 1 and read through verse 21. Listen carefully to God's holy and inspired word. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were not afraid because of the fire, and you, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Thus far the reading of the Old Testament Word of God. If you would turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6, and let's read the Lord's Prayer as it's laid out there. Matthew chapter 6. Let's actually begin with verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Let's turn to the Lord once more in prayer. Father, for this gift of prayer, we thank you. For the revelation of this pattern prayer that your son gave to his disciples and through them to us, we thank you for that. And we pray we would better understand this gift of prayer and more faithfully use it. And that you would be honored, we would be strengthened, we would find your grace to do all your holy will. For it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we ask it. Amen. I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to read an article from the Wall Street Journal. It was about, is religion good for your health? Now, the Wall Street Journal, I say, it's a pretty stable magazine, still printing, still out there. There was a study done from the Mayo Clinic in 2001, found that people who regularly attend religious services tend to have lower rates of mortality, hospital admissions in any given period, as well as better cardiovascular function, the increase in death rates among people who never attend religious services, compared with those who attend several times a week is comparable to associated with smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. But don't stop there. Some people started questioning. They said, we don't think they did this study exactly right. And we want to go a little bit deeper and found out. So a little bit later, several recent studies led by Harvard epidemiologist Tyler Vanderweel do this more careful study. In a study published in the Journal of American Medical Association, Internal Medicine, in 2016, using data from over 70,000 women who were part of the Nurses' Health Study from 1992 to 2012, Vanderweel and his colleagues found that those who attended religious services at least once a week had 33% lower mortality from any cause over a 16-year period. In particular, deaths due to cancer or cardiovascular disease were 75% the rate among non-attenders, while religious associated reductions in smoking, increases in social support, explain some of the benefit. The data suggests that religion worked through others as yet unexplained avenues too. Just from a human secular point of view, it does good to be at worship. It does good to seek the Lord. It does good to follow after Him. But there are more reasons than that for us to pray and to seek the Lord. There are deeper reasons and better reasons. In Luke chapter 18, the first three verses, Jesus told a parable so that we would pray and not lose heart. Sometimes in our world, we get a lot of negative news, and the world loves to throw the darkest, deepest things, and Satan's called the accuser. Everything that's pushed at us, we want to give up. Well, it's not working out. We tried this, and it failed, and we did this, and it failed. We desperately need the Lord to help us. And the gracious gift the Lord Jesus Christ himself has given us is this gift of prayer. Matter of fact, the apostles thought it was so important when they were first choosing the first deacons, they said, we have to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Those two go together like two wings on an airplane. If you drop a wing of an airplane, it's not going to fly. We need prayer and the ministry of the word together. In Luke chapter 11, the parallel passage to what we read in Matthew this morning, 
Jesus got alone to pray, as was often his custom. And his disciples saw him, and it was watching him pray, watching his effectiveness in prayer that led them to ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. In Luke 11, we have the shorter version, Jesus just repeating it and making it clear. Matthew gives a little bit more of what we're used to praying. We add the ending, which we have seen in certain manuscripts. It fits well in our understanding. It's why we've added it to the end of the Lord's Prayer as we pray it. We desperately need the Lord, and we need His help in prayer. Matter of fact, we often forget why we need to pray. Let me lay a background for you before we look more closely at the Lord's Prayer and some of the ways it helps us. One of the reasons we need to pray is because we love the Lord Jesus. Sometimes the Muslims have a question, why did God the Son pray to God the Father if they're one? The answer is very simple. God has perfect love, perfect fellowship, perfect communion within Himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, totally one for all eternity. No break at all in that special love. Sometimes we as human beings have a hard time understanding that because we have difficulties with each other, miscommunications, misunderstandings. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit never did. Jesus got alone with the Father because He loved the Father. We ought to pray to the Lord because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We love our Savior, the one who died for us, the one who rose again from the dead. We believe He's our only way to heaven. We believe that He's our hope, not just for heaven one day, but for right now, for every need that we have. He will strengthen us. He will be with us. Look at all Christ has done as we worship Him. We ought to love praying to Him. But we don't always love Him like we should. We don't always seek Him like we should. We get involved in so many things, so easily distracted from pursuing the Lord. We also ought to love the Lord in prayer because it's obedience. Part of the Ten Commandments is not having any other gods before Him. Worship the Lord, our God, alone. He ought to be the center of our heart. T.S. Eliot was not a Christian, and then he came to Christ. And he wrote this wonderful little saying that I remember from years ago that God is the still point in the turning world. Everything else finds its definition, finds its organization, finds its place in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to worship Him because He commanded us to worship. He commanded us to pray to Him. Not just because we love Him, because it's the very best for us. Martin Luther said we ought to pray and worship the Lord, first, because we love Him, second, because we obey Him, but the truth of it is, the real reason why we pray is because we get in trouble. Something happens that's very hard. Maybe it's a sickness of a child. Maybe it's a tough marriage. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a difficulty, a trial you're going through. In our culture right now, so many non-Christian things are happening that have rejected the Word of God, and it troubles our hearts, and it drives us to pray. Jesus showed us how to pray. This is only one pattern of prayer that he lays before the disciples, but also before us, because it shows us in a very simple way how we ought to pray. I've called it the seven cries of the Christian soldier. In Deuteronomy, it really shows us how the Lord's Prayer is helping us fulfill the Ten Commandments. When we're praying through the Lord's Prayer, we're asking for seven different things. And if you're a child of God, you are a Christian soldier. You're the one saying, God, we want your kingdom to come. We want people to follow you in your way. And this is the way we're laying it before you. 
First, we're asking for God's honor. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In Deuteronomy 5, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Instead of taking his name in vain, through Jesus, God is our Father. When we're praying for God as our Father, we're praying for three things at least. One, He's the Father of all creation. He's created everything. God, You've made it all. Nothing exists apart from You. Lord, we bow our knee. We just read Psalm 19. Glorify the Lord. See His hand throughout all creation. God, You're our Father by creation. Second, by His providence. He lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. Everything we have comes from God, even our trials. Trusting Him that He has perfect wisdom. He's designing everything. We as Christians can particularly claim the promise that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, for those who are called according to His purpose. But He especially is our Father for those who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus himself came to earth to show us the Father, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross in our place, here the sinless Son of God, for all who would repent and believe. If you've yet not yet come to the point where you've given your life to the Lord Jesus, I urge you, talk to the elders that are here. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. There are others here who would love to talk to you about knowing the Lord as your Lord and Savior, to give you that anchor for your soul. The first cry of the Christian soldier is to ask for God's honor. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To hallow God's name, we're praying, God, that people would honor you, that they would respect you, that they would show the honor that belongs to you. It's interesting when I pray this prayer, hallowed be thy name. One of my prayers, God, you hallow your name. I stumble, I fall short. Lord, but you never do. Lord, you hallow your name and use us to hallow your name also to choose intentionally to bring honor and glory to your name by every thought, every word, every deed. Lord, work that grace in our hearts through the strength you give us in the Lord Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the second cry is like it. Ask for God's kingdom to come. When God's name is hallowed, we're kind of looking at the big picture now. If you look in the book of Revelation, it talks in beauty, the healing of the nations, the glory of the heavenly throne, heaven come to earth, that beautiful combination, that wonderful expression of what it will be like for God to totally rule over us. We're praying for that. We are praying in our confession of sin. Lord, we want your kingdom more than our kingdom. So often we get caught up in our kingdom. It's not wrong to have desires, but too often our desires are also sinful and they're laced with sin. Lord, show us and give us proper desires. Help us want what you want. Help us want first and foremost your kingdom above what we want. Often God in his glory aligns our gifts and our beauty and we can see his kingdom working us and we get to be blessed with so many things. But first and foremost, it's about his kingdom. When we observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, we're remembering what God has done. We're being still before Him. We're saying, Lord, this is Your day. We're recognizing everything belongs to You, but especially this day, we want to honor You. God's honor, God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done. 
Now, these are all kind of tied together, but I separate them a little bit. It's almost like God's kingdom to come is the big picture. It's the artist's conception of what it's going to look like one day. God's will to be done is the actual task, the individual mission, day after day, what has to be done. To honor your father and mother as the Lord God commanded you, that it may be well with you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. We know this is God's revealed will. God reveals that we should love one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you if indeed you're a child of God. This is to pray for God's will. I usually break this down in a number of different ways. God's eternal, ultimate, sovereign will will be done no matter what. So though we can acknowledge that's part of this prayer, I don't think that's the main focus. I may think the main focus is to pray for God's revealed will. What are God's gospel commands that he gives us in the New Testament? Are we praying that those will become a reality? That we really will love one another? I I have family members sometimes that I struggle with. We have tensions sometimes, and I pray, God, I wish we would love each other more like we're supposed to. Can we be honest and say, Lord, I want your will to be done. I want to love like you teach us to love. Forgiving others, being patient with one another, seeking the will of God. Another part of the will of God is this. When Jesus prayed before the cross, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Sometimes the hard parts of God's will are difficult to understand. And yet to submit ourselves under God's mighty hand and say, God, even in this trial, you are Lord. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you know what's best. Lord, let me submit to your will. Let me be at peace. Now, yes, I would fight back against every effort, every way I can, look for everything to obey God's will and to be whole. But sometimes, like our Savior, we have to suffer in this life. And if there's no way around that, to submit ourselves to God's will and trust Him to even use the hard things in our life to bring Him glory and to do us good in the long run. It says in the Psalms, Jesus delighted to do God's will. Do we delight to do God's will? Part of the prayer, asking for God's will to be done, God, give me the heart that wants to do your will, that desires to do your will. And if any place I'm out of accord, conform me back to your will. God's honor, God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done. Ask for God's aid for our need. It's interesting because it starts with glorifying God, adoring Him, praising Him first, and then it comes, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what is daily bread? Well, it's all these things. It is physical bread, sure. It's a meal that we eat, sure. But I think it really centers on Jesus, who is the bread of life. Ultimately, everything we need for life and godliness is found in and through Jesus. So when we're praying for our daily bread, we're praying for emotional health, spiritual health, mental health, physical health, everything that we need. Lord God, touch us and bless us. I use the Lord's Prayer for my personal prayer time, usually in the mornings. And one of the things, if you'll notice, it doesn't say my daily bread, my Father. It says our Father, our 
daily bread. You're not just praying for yourself. You're praying for others around you. Lord, I don't know everything they need. This one's going through some emotional struggles. Father, they need the mental health. They need the strength you can give them in Jesus to overcome. Lord, be with them. This one's having cancer treatments. Father, give them that strength to face that. Father, this one is having great challenges at work. You know what they are. Father, help them with that need. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not just about me. Yes, I usually start with myself. I pray for my family. I pray for the ministries God's given me. I pray for the churches, my churches. I've served four different churches. No, I don't pray for every single person by name. That's just way too much. But I do pray for those churches that God would continue to strengthen them. They would walk with him. Then we pray for the lost. Lord, put a burden on our heart for those who don't know Jesus. Bring them to Christ. Jesus told us in Luke to beg the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest. I work with Child Evangelism Fellowship. We try to get people who will train and go out and share the gospel with people that are not hearing it, not just people in church, but the people in the community and the world around us. They need to hear about Jesus and come to Jesus and be transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us this day our daily bread. Deuteronomy says, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant. It's not what everybody else has. Lord, give me what I need for life and godliness that I can follow you. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Interesting, I was going back and looking at John MacArthur's commentary on this passage. And he notes that it's an unusual word that's used in the Matthew section. God has many different words that are used for sin. One's harmatia, which means falling short of the mark. Another means transgression. It means crossing the line. Another means kind of being lazy. You know what to do, but you're just not doing it. There are intentional sins, unintentional sins. The word that Matthew uses is a more general word. It doesn't mean just financial debts. It means things that we owe to God. Our whole life belongs to God. With all He's done for us, we ought to give it all back to Him. Say, Lord, I'll live anywhere You want me to live. I'll do anything You want me to do. Lord, let my life be Yours. Confessing that I fall short of giving God the glory I, I, I should. When you became a Christian, you first confessed your sins. You said, Lord, forgive me. I'm trusting Jesus who died on the cross to save me. He rose again from dead to give me newness of life. So you don't have any more problem with sin, right? Uh, people misunderstand that often. I like to say there's three major parts of sin, and if it helps you understand it. There's the penalty of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, as soon as you repented and believed in Jesus, He paid for all the penalty of sin. Second, He broke the power of sin in your life so you can fight back. The Bible says sin shall not have dominion over you. You can see progress. However, the Bible also says you're still going to have particular sins in your life till you get to heaven. When we come to confess our sins on Sunday mornings like we did today, we're not going back to the very first and say, I have to become a Christian all over again. No, Jesus already paid for us. But we're agreeing with God that, Lord, I still have messed up and I need to put this under your hands. This is under the blood of Jesus. Now continue to help me turn from my sin and follow you. Help me continue to weed this garden and remove these sins that are in me that I might more and more live for Christ and die to self. In the book of Ephesians, it's called putting off the old sinful ways and putting on Christ. 
For instance, one line there would be, let him who steals, steal no more, but rather let him work with his hands in order that he may be able to give. Instead of that old sinful way of life, you're doing just the opposite because Christ is working it in you. The Lord gave us this prayer to ask forgiveness for sins. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. It's easy just to think about your own sins. I'm coming back to that our word. Father, forgive my sins. Forgive my wife's sins. Forgive my children's sins. Lord, forgive my church's sins. Lord, forgive other Christians' sins. Now, we live in a gotcha culture that as soon as somebody does something wrong, man, I got you, I got you, you have no value anymore. That's not how the gospel works. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you're not forgiving other people, then maybe you haven't really understood the forgiveness of Christ to yourself. If you really saw how bad you are, apart from the mercy and grace of Jesus, you'd be far, far less likely to sinfully condemn people. There's places for correction. There's biblical places, proper ways to correct people. But all must be done with humility and with grace. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. There was a pope that wanted to take this out and said, no, we don't need that in there. Remember Jesus before the cross? We said this before. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He was praying, Lord, if I don't have to be tempted, if there's any way around this temptation, let me get around it. If I have to face it, then I'll face it. But foolish people run into temptation. Foolish people want to go into sinful places. Wise people want to avoid those the best they can by the grace God gives. If you have to face it, God will give you the strength. But asking him to keep you from temptation is a wise, godly path. Ask forgiveness for our sins, ask prevention of trouble and temptation, but deliver us from evil. When I'm praying this, I usually have three parts to that. Deliver us from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is everything that just does not want God and wants to pull you away from God. In Pilgrim's Progress, it was called Vanity Fair. All the glittery things that say, you love this more than God. God gives us beautiful things. God gave us a glorious earth to live in. We can own things and cherish things and love them, but never let them become more important than God. Hold them with a loose hand. Beware of the pull of the world that would suck us into its beauty and delight. Often brokenhearted, I've seen so many Great musicians started in church music and they loved it. And then the glitter of fame drew them off. And then they threw away anything having to do with Christ just for their fame and glory. Now, God can forgive all sinners. But why would we leave the best? The world, the flesh, my sinful flesh, your sinful flesh. There's parts of us that doesn't want God's kingdom. We don't want things God's way. I want it my way. You've probably heard of those two little boys. I love that story from a long time ago where a mother's dividing a piece of cake, and she cut it a little bit too much on one side and not enough on the other. And she says, okay, pick your piece. And she says, now, y'all remember Jesus. He would have shared. And the boys turn to each other and say, you be Jesus. 
They don't want to be Jesus. We don't want to be Jesus. I want the best deal for me. I want the most attention for me. I want the most pats on the back. I want everyone to think my life is more important than their life. God, forgive us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Satan is real. Now, I think you need to be careful. Satan's not behind every bush doing it, pulling every string. However, we do have principalities and powers that we're fighting against more than against flesh and blood. Another reason for prayer is God help us overcome in your strength. Through Jesus, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. We can flee from temptation according to the direct commands of the Scripture. Will we follow God's will and God's way in this? All these cries from the heart, we usually add this last ending. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Ultimately, it is about God's kingdom, and His kingdom will come. We're praying for it because we want to intentionally be a part of it, but God will bring His kingdom. It is coming, whether you like it or not. And thine is the power, Lord. You have the strength to make all this happen. Use us where you will, but work above and beyond us. Bring your kingdom. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Ultimately, if you as a Christian really understand it, God's ultimate glory is our greatest good. John Piper said we're most satisfied in Him when He's most glorified in us. When He receives the glory He should. Because that's what we were made for. We so were often distracted, so often misled. But God gives us the grace and the strength to come back and serve Him. What can you do with this message? First, trust the good news of Jesus. The only reason this prayer is of any value to us at all is because Jesus came lived a sinless life, died for us, and rose again from the dead so we could be forgiven. Repent of your sins. Believe in Him alone. Even if you've already believed in Jesus, come back and be reminded. Jesus has to remind us to pray because we forget. We get so involved, we think, I've got to fix that. I have to tell you, I became a young pastor in my first church. My father was a ruling elder. And I called him. I had a problem in the church, and I was kind of trying to figure it out. I said, Dad, what do you think I ought to do about this? And God bless my dad. I have a wonderful, godly dad. He said, son, have you prayed about it yet? No, dad, but, but I want advice. Son, have you prayed about it yet? He just kept bringing me back to the Lord and to prayer. Trust the Lord Jesus. Trust who he is. Trust what he's done. Trust that he's the ultimate sinless son of God. His way is best for us. First, trust the Lord Jesus. Second, examine your heart. Keep looking at your heart. Lord, am I praying like I should? Most of us, a dear pastor friend of mine said, if you want to convict people of sin, talk about the prayer life. <laughs> None of us prays as much as we should, but we want to find that grace. So we're living a life of prayer, breathing it day to day. Like Jesus, we get alone with the Father in prayer, but also it's part of our everyday life. At work, we're praying for this work that we're doing, that it might glorify the Lord. We're praying for our relationships with the people at work. We're praying for the people going shopping. What about that clerk? What about that waitress? What about that person in the marketplace? Examine your heart. Examine your prayer life. Take one as needed. <laughs> Take as many as you need. Jesus just gave this one pattern prayer, but there are many other examples of prayer. John 17 is high priestly prayer. So many other places you could study the prayer. But he gave this to his disciples, gave it to you and me as a pattern for prayer.
I've written a book on the prayers of Paul. Urge you to go look at it, but not for my sake. Go look at the prayers of Paul for yourself. I want you to pray those prayers. I want you to have the heart of God for the people of God. And then as you seek for a new pastor to come, Lord, we want just the person you've got for us. We're seeking your face. Lord, if you don't send us the right one, this won't work. God, you guide us. You help us. And God will gloriously bless. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for us. Can we do something? We prayed it earlier, but now we've kind of talked through the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray it one more time together. Bow your heads and pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I pray that God will continue to bless you individually, personally, in your families, in this community, that God would expand your witness. I thank God for the missionaries you're supporting and pray that God would expand that influence. We do have a display of one of the ways we're helping. Encourage you to go look at that. I know you have a congregational meeting afterwards. We'll stay around for a little while. Please look at that. We'd love to have you find ways through Child Evangelism Fellowship. You could reach children in your own community. And now I would ask you to receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious to you and grant you his peace from this very day until Jesus Christ shall come again and forevermore. Amen.